morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Anyway, we have been discussing for the last several weeks the resurrection effect. As I've shared repeatedly, uh, Greater Alton, we've discovered, Tim and Alan and I, the three elders, have discovered that we have not paid enough attention to the resurrection. And we're making an effort to understand that more and to teach and to educate on that more. Uh, because we believe when you take the resurrection out of the gospel, there's not a lot left. A lot of the good news goes away. And you're sharing something that's incomplete. And we don't want to be guilty of that. And uh, we've talked about what the, re- what the resurrection restores and how it's the beginning of a restoration process. Alan took the first three weeks to talk about that. I talked about how one of the effects is vision, specifically about how it gives us a vision of eternity and let, lets us see the temporary nature of this life, the shortness of this life, and the brevity of it. We've also talked about the power that when you understand the resurrection, there's a power that comes with that and associated with that. And today I'm going to be talking about the resurrection effect. I'm going to, as you see in your notes, I've entitled it A Mystifying Life. Now I have three kids, and uh, I have one that's barely a teenager still. But when they were, three, they were teenagers, they had a saying that I heard repeatedly. I believe I heard it more from my daughter than my two sons. But it was this. It was, Dad... Nobody wants to be that kid. And what there's, what she's, you know, I don't remember a specific, I wish I did remember a specific time that, that she said that in response to. But typically I was, I was giving them some kind of advice on what to do or what to say or how to act and, or how to respond to a situation. And basically, Dad, nobody wants to be that kid. And as most of you know, teenagers don't want to bring any undue attention to themselves that might invite ridicule or just attention they don't want. And so, like, even if I was telling my daughter, she, uh, she's very cold-natured, okay? In the wintertime, she's cold all winter long. So I bought her a pair of insulated snow pants, all right? I'm a good father. I suggested she wear these at school. Nobody wants to be that kid. Nobody wants to, to be the kid that values function over form or style. Nobody wants to stand out. But guys, I chose this very carefully, and you're going to look at this in a little in a little bit. I thought about entitling titling it the str- strange life or a foreign life, and I come up with mystifying I, I, when I was looking at synonyms for the word strange. And one of the definitions of mystify is to bewilder purposely. To bewilder. You know, it, it's, it's something that's strange, something that's unusual, but that it causes somebody to go, what's up with that? You know, my favorite emoji is the little round yellow face that goes, hmm. That's my favorite one. And guys, what I believe and what we're going to look at here is that God wants us to live and expects us to live the type of life that bewilders people, that mystifies them, that makes them ask the question, why? There's a Christian group by the name of Newsboys, and they, they, they follow this theme in a number of their songs. One of them is, you know, wherever we go, people want to know. They want to know, what, why do we act this way? 
Another one is shine. And the lyrics are shine. Make them wonder what you got. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking in. And I believe with all my heart, guys, that when you look at following Jesus seriously, the way he tells you to live it, your life should look strange compared to the world. It should mystify those around you. If you look at these passages here, and I just want to tell you right now, I stayed in First Peter most of the, for most of this lesson. I encourage you to go back and read First Peter completely on your own. It's five short chapters, very practical for today's living when you look at it. But in First Peter chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your lives as foreigners here in reverent fear. And he tells us to live our lives as foreigners. Have, have you, I know in this country we have it more and more where you have people from outside of this country here. And especially when you find a group of them, they do things differently than we do, do they not? I remember when I was in, and this can happen even within, within, uh, within America, within, you know, people who are Americans. I like to tell this story. In 1981, I went off to college. I went up to Parkland College in, uh, in Champaign, Illinois. I had a, had a, had a apartment with three other guys. And uh, one of them was from there in Champaign. His family had a barbecue on Labor Day. They invited me over to it. I got there late because I had to work. And so I sat down, and believe it or not, I was 18 years old, and I had never had ribs. I had never ate ribs my entire life. But I loved meat, so what's the big deal? I'm trying something new. They put it in front of me, and I go to town on the ribs. And I'm going to town eating and talking, and before I know it, people are laughing at me. Apparently, you're not supposed to use a knife and fork when you eat ribs. You see, guys, I, did, I, I, was, I was not brought up around ribs. I didn't know this. I was strange to them. They were strange to me in a very minor way. But God's telling you we need to live our lives as foreigners. You go on in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners. Some translations translate that strangers. So foreigners are strangers and exiles. And again, some translations translate that exiles as aliens. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. 1 Peter 4.4, 4, it says they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. See guys, when you look at those passages, it is very plain, and they're all within this one letter that Peter writes, and he paints a picture that says the way we live should mystify the world around us. We should live a different way. Specifically when he talks about us living as foreigners, he is saying our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Alan spoke about this several weeks back when he talked about we are new creation and we are literally a new... When you become a Christian and you receive His Holy Spirit, you are becoming... You are being a human in a new way. You can live your life in a way that you couldn't before and that those without the Holy Spirit cannot live. 
And that way of living should stand out. It should stand out. In 1 Peter 1.3, it tells us this. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, guys, the effect of the resurrection should be that we have this new birth into a new way of living that bewilders the world, that mystifies anyone who sees it. And literally, guys, our Heavenly Father wants us to be that kid. He wants us to be the kid that stands out. And so, guys, I'm going to talk about three things uh, fairly quick, actually, at least compared to the first service, the, of ways, uh, you know, how, what, what's it going to take? That my life will mystify the world when I, number one, have a real faith. When I have a real faith. See, guys, I put real faith because I, I'm going to make a statement here that may seem a little bit strong. But, guys, I believe that most of the people in this world that I know who claim the name of Christian, who claim to be a follower of Jesus, don't have the type of faith that God really wants them to have. They claim the name, but they don't really live by faith. And I know that because when you look at the world around us, most of us blend in pretty well. We don't stand out. And you see, guys, my... My definition, I have my own definition of faith. It's something that I found very practical. I believe, if you want to discuss it with me, you can, but I believe it'll be helpful to you as well. And it is, the real faith to me is when you take specific action based off specific Scripture and you trust God for the result. You see, guys, because when you turn to do something different than the world, they're not going to understand it. What do you mean you've never been drunk? What do you mean you've only had sex with one woman your whole life? What do you mean you've never been to a strip club? Now those are very specific. Those are things that have all been said to me. Okay? And it's very clear that I can go to Scripture and I can tell you why I do those things. Or why I did the... Yeah, do them, did them. God wants us to know why we were doing things. And He's given us reasons to, not just to come up with it on our own. I was raised in the 70s, and at the height of what I believe was the sexual revolution, it's amazing to see the way culture has changed in the last 40 years. You know, when I was a kid, and we were watching reruns of uh, I Love Lucy, and they, had, they would show Ricky and Lucy's bedroom. You remember that? Separate beds. They acted like sex didn't exist. Now when you turn on TV, oh my goodness, it don't matter. Married, what? Sex is a normal part of your existence. But back in the 70s, one of the things that I, arguments that I heard, or some of the arguments I heard for premarital sex was, how do you know if you're going to be sexually compatible or not? Okay? Or, what, what, if, what if the person you choose to get married, if you don't have sex before you get married, what if they're not very good? The answer to that is, 
if you've never had sex with anybody else, you won't know they're not very good. I mean, there is something to be said. I, I, guys, literally, I've known married couples, and we were talking with them, and there was a problem in their, in their sexual intimacy because one of them was comparing to the performance of past lovers. And you see, guys, that goes on. What does it mean? Well, the Bible's very clear, guys. God intends for us to have sex with one person, and unless your spouse dies, that's it. He expects you to have sex with that one person. I'm going to trust him for that result. That's what waiting before you're married and only having sex with one person is all about. God has said that's the way it's to be done. I'm trusting him for that result. I'm not trying to create it myself. And you see, guys, those actions are mystifying. People have asked me before, why have you never been to a strip club? I said, I have enough trouble being married. I don't need any help. I don't need anything to make it more difficult. Guys, but it miss, I've had people threaten to, t- threaten to you know, take me. I was down in Florida for a class. And a, a gentleman from India, Arshad is his name. And he's like, we're taking you to the booby bar. No, no, you're not. <laughs> and I was already prepared. He was mystified at this. He'd never been. You know, and I was in their vehicle. I was going to have to find a ride home if they actually showed up at the place. But guys, it should mystify the world around us. You see, guys, look at this in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 6 and 7. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Let me ask you, how many times do you know somebody that gets bad news or is facing a difficult situation and they're excited about it? They're joyful about the difficulties that they're facing. You see, guys, literally, that sounds crazy to you, doesn't it? I mean, I I always, I'm sorry, I'll repeat it again, that line from, from Animal House... Thank you, sir. May I please have another? That's what being joyful in difficult times is like. It's saying, this is great. I want more of it. Guys, that's mystifying to the world. And guys, back to what I was saying earlier about most Christians don't have a real faith. Let me just ask you. Most people... When you hear them ask you to pray for them, when they're going through difficult times, you can correct me if I'm wrong later, but I believe that most people, when they ask you to pray for them, when they're dealing with something difficult, you know what they want? Make it go away. God, make it, please pray that my situation at work will get better. Please pray that this person at work will behave differently so life isn't so bad there. Please pray that my spouse changes the way they are. 
And the list goes on and on. Guys, that is normal for for most of us. And that's what I hear from people most of the time when I look at prayer requests and when I'm given prayer requests. If God changed the situation, how often, on the other hand, have you ever heard somebody say, would you please pray that I can be joyful through this? Can you pray that I will be excited and that I don't lose this? Will you pray that my faith is proven genuine during this? I'm just guessing that you've heard the first request more, make it go away, than you have somebody praying, help me to be joyful, help me for my faith to be proven genuine. Guys, I, I, I'm, I'm still amazed. I told Debbie Weiler I was going to talk about her again. And, and, and God, I, I, I'm amazed. She's the only person that I've ever heard, and I'm not saying nobody else has ever done it. I'm saying this is the only person I've ever heard. Debbie has stage four cancer. She was diagnosed about nine or ten months ago. And she was telling me about, about three weeks ago about how she talks to the cancer. And she says to the cancer, thank you. Thank you for being here because of what it's done for me. And I was talking to her this morning saying, I'm going to share about this. And I said, it just blows my mind. Even if that was a momentary thing. And she says, it's not a momentary thing. I am thankful for what having cancer has created in her faith. Guys, that is so, that's mystifying, isn't it? How can you do that? Well, guys, I believe that's an effect of understanding the resurrection and believing in the resurrection. Because when you believe in the resurrection, it says this life is temporary. This life is short. And what matters is eternity. And that's how somebody is able to look at that and go, what counts now is me being faithful, not what circumstances I have to be faithful in. Let me challenge you this week. I'm guessing. I'm just going to take a long shot here, okay? I'm going to take a flyer. And I'm going to guess that most everybody in this room has something going on in their life that they consider difficult. Something that they wish would go away. It doesn't matter if it's a disease. doesn't matter if it's a job. doesn't matter if it's financial problems. I believe everybody's got something right now they'd love to snap their fingers and it'd be different. And guys, I just want to challenge you to, to pray it yourself. And to ask somebody to pray for it too, that you are joyful during the trial you have going on. Don't ask God to let it go away. If he wants to, that's fine. But you understand my point. Pray that God will give you joy and show you how. And that you will choose to rejoice instead of be bothered about it. Instead of be long-faced about it. And ask them to pray that you are faithful through that trial. I'm not saying Debbie Weiler is the only one like this. She's, she's the one I've talked to that blows me away. Jim, Jim Simpson is the same situation. I don't believe, I don't know why Jim's still alive. <laughs> Jim, when you got your diagnosis three years ago, or is it four now? Three years ago, he was diagnosed again with stage four. I don't know how he lived a month with the way your neck was and the shape it was in. But I remember visiting him in the hospital, and he's basically, yeah, I want to be healed. But if I, if I don't, that, I'm good with that. 
I'm good with God. And just the, the calmness and the courage. And he tells me that's still a choice for him. He want, God, guys, Jim and Debbie want to be faithful while they have cancer. And that's what I'm asking you to pray for yourself and to ask somebody else to pray that for you as well. See, because I'm guessing that's going to be strange to most of us. Guys, look at this in First uh, Peter chapter 1. It says, Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. See, guys, you're going to be joyful when you really have your faith and hope in God and in nothing else. When you truly give up your own desire, your own will, and submit to the will of God, which is that you will be faithful. Second thing is I will live a bewildering life, and this is a continuation, but when I am full of joy. Sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? Would you say the people around you consider you a joyful person? A happy person? I, uh, I talk to a guy regularly, usually a couple times a week. And, uh, he's an advisor in the car wash business. He, um, he supplies me with chemical for one of our car washes. And he, was, he, he repeatedly says, he goes, Gary, you got that light in your eye. He's talking about within the car wash, okay, my attitude towards the car washes specifically. He says, you got that light in your eye, man. You're excited. We went with my wife and I were in Las Vegas for a, for a car wash show. Who knew such things existed? And he says, people that go to the car wash show, they either get in the business or out of the business. It overwhelms them. He goes, and you, you're, getting, you're staying in. You're, you're going big. You're, you're, you're going after it. And he goes, you got that light, you spark in your voice, he said. That haunts me. Because I've talked to him for two years. And I believe it's only in the last six months that he's heard a spark in my voice. You want to know why? Because it was going bad before. Not bad, but it was rough. And he sees the difference. And the truth of the matter is, I wasn't being faithful to God. I wasn't as joyful during difficult times as I want to be, as I believe God wants me to be. And I have to choose it. Guys, that's what He wants. That's what He wants us to be like. Look at this here in Matthew chapter 5. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Let me ask you, how many, how many of you hope you go to work tomorrow and find out people have been spreading false information about you? How many, how many of you are hoping that happens? Well, according to what Jesus goes on to say, let's start over. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
1 Thessalonians 5 tells us very simply, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Side note there, guys, if you've ever wondered what the will of God is for your life, or how you find it out, I believe you go with the obvious. And it's obvious that God's will is that you rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, and pray continually. That, that, that is just plain. That You want to know what God wants from you? Let's start right there. See, because here's the truth of the matter. The resurrection has achieved something for us, a victory that we don't give enough attention to. You see, my daughter is in, she, she's been involved in track since she was in the seventh grade. And she has participated in five sectional meets. Now, most of you know in high school sports in Illinois, sectional is where you qualify for state. And that's where you want to get to. You want to qualify for state. She's in five sectional meets. She hates sectional meets. Because at the sectional meet, you have to perform and hit a certain mark on that day. It doesn't matter if you were the state champ a year ago, and if you got the, the best mark in the state or even the whole country a week ago, if you don't meet state qualifying standards on the day of the sectional, you're probably not going to go to state. And it's, 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 she hates them because in three of her sectional meets, she was so close. Her first sectional meet, she missed going to state by half an inch. On the next to the last throw, another girl bumped her out of second place. And because nobody hit the standard, she didn't get to go. Her junior year in the, in the discus, she missed by 15 inches. I mean, that's not much in the discus. And then her senior year, they had her throwing in the rain. And she didn't get to, didn't get to go. She hates sectionals. She dreads sectionals. She doesn't have any more sectionals. But guys, the point of it is this. She doesn't like sectionals because she had to perform on a certain day. Victory was uncertain. Guys, when it comes to eternal life, victory is certain. You don't have to wonder if you're going to get to live eternally at the resurrection. You can go through life full of joy because you know all this that we're dealing with is temporary. And you're going to get to live forever, and guess what? There's no sin then. There's no disease, and there's no death. Guys, when you put that into perspective, being joyful becomes much simpler. I'm not saying it's not a challenge. But guys, the way we live our lives as followers of Jesus is we should have such joy that it mystifies those around us. Third thing, guys, is that I'm going to mystify the world with my life when I accept suffering. When I accept suffering. Guys, suffering... It's just difficulties. It's hard times. It's trials. It's things not the way you want them. 
And I hate to, I hate to tell you, but that's just part of life. I used to get mad because work, my work, my business was too hard. And then I came up with a little saying. It's called thorns and thistles. You see, in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God says to Adam, you're going to work the ground and it's going to produce thorns and thistles. And why why do I use thorns and thistles? Because it reminds me difficulties are a part of life. They're to be accepted. Look at this passage here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Beginning in verses 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I'm just going to take another wild guess here that everybody in this room has sin that they would like to be done with. Is that a fair assumption? What does it say? Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. You want to overcome sin, you are going to have to go through some suffering. It is part of the territory. It's where we are at. And again, guys, I'm going to point to the resurrection. What does that mean? This ain't going to last forever. You've already qualified by accepting what Jesus did on the cross. Eternity is guaranteed. As long as you stay faithful. You can be done with sin. It goes on, guys, where it talks about you don't live their lives for the rest, the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And I get back to what I said earlier. You want to know the will of God for your life, you need to embrace and accept the suffering that's going on. God is trying to use it to achieve something in your life. Look at this passage here in 1 Peter 4. And uh, this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible because it puts things in perspective. And it'll be closing out. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What does he say, guys? Don't be surprised. Accept the suffering that's coming. Accept the suffering, the difficulties that are there. He go, I love the way he finished. He says, for you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. See guys, one of the things we talked in here about, we haven't, we've neglected, 
is the resurrection. And when Alan and I were talking about doing this lesson series, uh, very quickly I said, Alan, we've got to talk about the Holy Spirit. And next week, Alan is beginning a a sermon series on the Holy Spirit called Empowered. I was doing the best I could to talk about the resurrection effect, giving us power without talking about the Holy Spirit and getting into that series. But guys, you can't talk about it because they go hand in hand. And guys, that's what God is saying here. If you're insulted, if you have difficult times because of the name of Christ, you're blessed and the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If we don't understand the Holy Spirit and its significance and its role and how we're able to live by it, that doesn't mean much to us. The spirit of glory, and we go, what's that about? So guys, as we close out the day, I just want to encourage you. I hope this series has challenged your thinking, or will it sometime in the future, that you see that the resurrection points to eternal life, and it reminds us of the brevity of this life, the temporary nature of this life. And it affects us in some hugely positive ways, the way God intends for it to. Let's pray, and we'll be done today. Alrighty? Father, we just want to thank you. God, I am amazed when I dig into your word what I learn. Father, I've been a follower of yours for most of my life. And a poor follower for most of that. Father, I am amazed of what you've shown me. And Father, what you're showing us. Father, I want to pray right now that we can be a group of people who live a mystifying life. Father, I want to pray right now that we can individually decide and be honest with ourselves if we're willing to embrace being that kid of living a a life that the world sees odd. That Father chooses to stay away from sin. That chooses to live for Your will instead of for our own. Father, You've guaranteed us victory. Remind us of that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.